Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Martha Sullivan, a one-time systems consultant turned her most brilliant act of rebellion into a career as a CPA, CFO, COO, and profit and value growth strategist, consulting to hundreds of clients over the past three decades. Martha of Providence Hill Consulting helps business owners build, buy, and sell strong, profitable companies that someone else will want when they chase their next adventure. Thanks so much for joining me today, Martha. Thank you for inviting me. I'm just thrilled to be here and have this conversation with you today, Diane. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I am too. And and I want to dive right into this whole concept of valuation of a company. Explain mm-hmm. to me and the listeners, if you would, please, why a business owner should care about the valuation of their company. And I would say, especially if they have no intention of transitioning out of it, like anytime soon. You bet. You bet. So um, I like to kind of compare it to um, taking care of your house. If you've invested in your house, um, you, you take care of it, right? You know, you make sure that not only is it good for you to live in and so you can enjoy it while you're living in it, but you also want to make sure that when it comes time to sell the house, and maybe that is when you're, you're long gone and it's something that your family needs to, to um, you know, sell on your behalf, or maybe you, you know, you or your spouse or significant others, you get a decision that you want to go live someplace else. You know, you've been living in the city and you want to go live in the mountains or whatever the case may be. Well, we need our, our homes to be have a solid foundation. We need the mechanicals to be running. We need it to have great curb appeal and be ready to sell. So whenever that happens, it's ready to sell and we can get the best price in that's available in the market at that time. The same is true with our, our businesses. You know, there, there's a saying in exit planning circles that if you focus only on income, you may not have value, but if you focus on value, you can have both. So if, if what that means essentially is that um, very often we're in our businesses and we're, we're making money, we're focusing on revenue or maybe... Maybe we're focusing on net profit, but we don't realize that there are other things that go into making a company attractive um, for somebody else to want to come in and step in and own and run and um, have success with. And that could mean selling it outright. It could mean making it attractive for the next generation. 
if it's a family business. Um, you know, what we are finding in family business is because they haven't taken good enough care of the business throughout, the next generation is looking at it and saying, I don't really <laughs> want anything to do with this. So value is, is, is financial, absolutely. But there are also other things that go into a valuable, attractive, and sustainable company long-term. Okay, so, and how is that value then calculated? So in most, the most simple terms, it's, um, I like to, to say that um, value is the result of reward times risk. So many, um, many of us are familiar with the, the concept that the, a val the value of a business is some multiple of something. Um, you know, maybe it's a multiple of revenue. In some industries, that's the case. More often, it's the multiple of um, what's termed, the term is EBITDA, which stands for earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization, which is a flipping mouthful, which is why we call it EBITDA. <laughs> um, no it, one understands it. Yeah. Right, right. But essentially EBITDA is um, your net income with some other things added back to it. And it's a multiple of that. Well, what the multiple really represents is what the buyer sees as, as the relative risk in the business. And there are mathematical uh, models for building that up and determining it. But, um, but essentially it's, it's the buyer saying either this is a risky game or my goodness, the risk I'm seeing versus the upside of everything else that could come with it is great. So I'm, I'm not as concerned about the risk. The other important thing to, to remember is when you hear that somebody got a multiple of five or a multiple of three, or maybe they got a multiple of 11, what that is telling um, us is that a multiple of, of five is probably pretty average um, in most industries if you're going on EBITDA. If it's a multiple like a double digit multiple, what, what that's telling us is that there's a lot of upside in this business. We're seeing um, double digits for like healthcare companies or um, software as a service companies. Some of, you know, they're kind of like off the charts multiples. But if you're in like a two or a three or something like that, that means that there's more risk and that it, it doesn't have as much upside. So does that make sense? I mean, there's there's a lot to this, Diane, and and that's why I boil it down to reward your revenue or your bottom line times risk equals your value. So I think that makes so much sense. And I have to say, I think it's the first time anyone's explained it in a way that makes sense to me. So well, good, good. I'm glad. Cause I mean that's that's how I, I teach it. And and I think it's really a, an element that is so mysterious. You know, we hear about a multiple of it, but what the heck is this multiple thing? It's it's really kind of mysterious. And it's it honestly, it shouldn't be. It's kind of dangerous that it is. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay, so you mentioned um, 
profit, I think you said, like when we're talking about reward, but what goes on the reward side? So the reward side is really the side that we as business owners, we can really control that. And I think that's the, the real message behind the reward side. We make decisions every day in our business that um, impact what revenues we do have. Uh, it imp we make decisions about what our gross margin is going to be, whether it be on pricing or the cost inputs that that we have in our, our product or service. And then ultimately it will fall to the bottom line and your net income. And I, I mentioned, you know, the, the revenue because some industries like the professional services types of industries, they very often hear um, the reward being a multiple, the value being a multiple of revenues. So for in a, for example, a CPA firm, very often it might be one times revenue or one and a half times revenue or something like that. Yeah. Whereas as um, for more product oriented businesses, it tends to be more on EBITDA and EBITDA would be considered the reward. It, EBITDA is kind of a proxy for cash flow in some okay. ways. So if we're generating a lot of cash, Obviously, I feel rewarded when I get a lot of cash. <laughs> um, so, but that's what goes on the reward side in the decisions we make in, in our business every day really determine what that reward is. And then you multiply that and, and you know, if you're not getting much reward, you're not going to get much value versus if you're making oodles of money and, and good cash flow, you multiply right. that by the multiple and you get more money. Okay. Thank you for that. Sure. Now, one of the things that I'm really curious about is how, how does a, a like an owner deal with all this internally without scaring people, you know, who their employees that they're about to sell the, the company? How do they balance that? I run into that a lot. The fear of spooking employees yeah. um, is is huge. It's absolutely huge. And that's why it's important to be working with advisors that you trust will hold that that confidence um, and have the the um, the chops to be able to say, listen, you know, exit planning really is just about taking care of the house if you will, if we go back yeah. to the earlier analogy, exit planning is just good, solid business strategy, beginning with the end in mind. And I, I remember working with one, one company in particular, um, I, I was brought in to help them with the turnaround. And um, it was a stressful situation. And the, the owner's um, we're internalizing it. It was it was pretty scary for them, um, and it ultimately impacted their health. And both of them ended up being hospitalized. And um, you know, it obviously percolated all these conversations about, oh, well, we we need to have a backup plan. We need to be able to have contingencies and an exit plan just in case. And um, the attitude of the the owners at the time frustrated me terribly because they did, didn't want to deal with it at all. And here we were facing a crisis. And for the longest time, it's like, yeah, you guys just want to die in the chair. And it would, it would 
as I said, it frustrated me. But then I got used to the idea of, you know what? It is absolutely okay if you want to die in the chair. But you need to make sure that you have your ducks in a row so you are not leaving that dog pile for your management team, for your family, for the other executives or other owners. And so we can frame the conversation about just making sure our business is going to be sustainable and and successful for the long term. And then the, the, the personal side of exit planning, when you're talking about what is that next adventure for you, dear business owner, what do you want to do? And the, the personal financial side, what do you need the value of the business to be to make sure you're not eating kibble in the kid's basement? Um, and, and, and those things are done behind closed doors. Those aren't done publicly, um, but they should be done holistically. Okay, Th- this is so great. I, I keep thinking about an experience I had where that, the company that I worked for when I that got me to Cleveland uh, was owned by three people and they didn't have a buy sell agreement. Uh huh. And it was a husband and wife and then this other woman and the wife knew nothing about the business. But the man died tragically in a car accident. Oh. Yeah, really sudden, tragic. And all of a sudden, these two women owned the company, one of whom knew nothing about it, didn't understand the value, you know, thought it was worth so much more, didn't know anything about running it. And this other poor woman who ended up, you know, having to run the whole company. And so you really do it. It's like insurance, right? You, you do it so that you don't have to worry about what could possibly happen because you never know what could you, possibly happen. You never know. And you bring up an excellent point, Diane. Um, I'm a part of the Exit Planning Institute. I've been credentialed um, as an exit planning advisor for many years. I co-founded the Wisconsin chapter of, of um, EPI here as well. And one of the statistics that is talked about a lot um, at, at EPI is um, that one in two business owners will not have control of when they exit their business. Wow. So you and I could play rock, paper, scissors and (laughs) have as as much likelihood of having control over when we leave our business versus not. And that is because of, you know, life happens. it It could be, Um, death or disability, whether it's the owner or one of their loved ones, it could be divorce. Um, It could be that, you know, the three of them, in your example, stopped getting along and there was disagreement. Um, Or, you know, you could have the zombie apocalypse of 2020 in the pandemic and all the distress that that created. Um, So there are a lot of things that derail ownership, which is another reason why you want to make sure your business is always ready to sell. Um, yeah. So that if it hits the fan, right, you, you can get at least the most out of that asset as the market will bear at that, at that point. And let's face it, it's one of the largest assets yeah. in a personal portfolio when you own a business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so uh, on the... Uh, on the flip side of 
um, rewards, what would you say are some of the common risks that like undermine a company's value? That's a fantastic question um, because very often it's, um, it's, it's things that the business owner doesn't think about on a regular basis. You know, I think entrepreneurs, we kind of eat, eat risk for breakfast. <laughs> so we don't really think about it. And mm-hmm. especially in an instance where the business owner is deeply ingrained in, into the operations or into relationships, owner dependency is a, a significant value killer. Um, you know, if, if you think about the easiest way to think about it is, um, is a professional services business, you know, for, for us as consultants, if we're, if our business is just the consulting firm, and it's, it's all our intellectual property, it's all our, um, our relationships, um, it, the processes are all ones that are in our head, things of that nature, when it comes time for anybody to potentially buy that business, what are they buying if the, the brain power is walking out the door? Right. There's not a lot of value there. There's maybe a customer roster, um, but there's not a lot of value. And the same is true even in product-oriented business. If, if all the decisions are being made, there's no management team, you know, the, the owner is white-knuckling relationships, that level of dependency is not healthy um, for a business. And it's a huge risk and um, a, a, a purchase price will be discounted um, for that, if not be the reason that a, a buyer walks away. Mm-hmm. Um, other risks include high co- customer concentration or high supplier risk. If, if all your eggs are in one basket, yeah. with um, or a, a large portion of it, if like mm-hmm. more than 10% of your revenue is coming from a particular cu- one customer, that's going to make buyers nervous. Uh, if you, one of the key ingredients to your um, product manufacturing uh, is, is all coming from one vendor and something happens to them, that concentration risk will make mm-hmm. people um, nervous. And you can see that manifesting itself in today's economic challenges with supplier dependencies. Um, and then there are others like, you know, what's the state of your, your technology, your systems, your financials. If your financial reporting is, um, non-existent or not, um, solid, that's going to make, buyers nervous and they will discount and take advantage of that accordingly. You know, what's so interesting about those, thank you for that. What's so interesting about this, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, well, these are also all the things that someone like me shares with their clients about just how they need to run their business in order to keep it sustainable, keep it viable. Exactly. Right. So it's all the same. It's not focusing on exiting. It's focusing on really building a solid business. Exactly. Exactly. Exit planning. You know, having the exit plan is is great. That's part of the outcome. But you're right. It's simply 
simply rock solid business strategy. It's taking care of business on a day in day out basis so that you're mitigating the risks to your asset today. Again, I'll go back to that statement. If you're focusing only on income, you may not have value. But if you're right. focusing on value, you can have both. Yeah. You can have both. You can have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So at what point um, uh, uh, of the journey should a business owner be paying attention to this, you know, preparing for that eventual transition or sale? So in terms of the focus of, on value, um, I would say the focus on value starts today. Yeah. In terms of actively um, preparing and thinking about what are my exit alternatives, um, where am I at in terms of my financial plan, um, and where where the the potential sale of the business fits in. Again, those are things you should be thinking about on a frequent basis, even if it's decades away. But that said, um, it generally takes anywhere between nine to I'll say 18 months to actually sell a business. That is from the point where you say, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to call the investment banker to the time that you'll get to close. So back the truck up from there. Uh, um, you know, it, 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 and even um, before we back up the truck, you can add on to that very often, a buyer might want an owner to stick around for some period of time. Maybe it's right. six months, maybe it's a year. So add that to your prep time to go to market. So we're talking, let's say round numbers, two years. Now, it takes some period of time to make sure that, you're, that, that you understand what readiness is. Am I truly ready? Am I ready as a person? Am I ready financially? Is the business truly transferable? And doing some, some real analysis um, to make sure that that is the case. Readiness, um, you know, there is a state of mind component to it, but when it really comes down to it, readiness is is very binary. Either you've you've done a good job of saving, and and with the the purchase price, the uh, purchase proceeds from the sale, you'll be fine. Or as I said, you'll be eating kibble in the basement with with your kids. Um, either you know what you're going to do after you put down the champagne glass or you don't. And if you don't, you're setting yourself up for profound regret um, because you're gonna be lost. And either the business is truly transferable and you've gotten um, some independent perspectives about what that value is um, or it's not. And you've got work you need to do because, it's, because you are facing kibble in the kid's basement. If you're facing kibble in the kid's basement, then you need to extend that period of time even further because there are things you can do to build the value of a company in, in a relatively short period of time, but it's not six months. Very often, you know, if we're talking owner dependency is the biggest risk, that's gonna take several years. So I, what I tell my, my clients is ideally when you're starting to get a little twitchy about, you know, maybe it's time to exit. Um, I'd give yourself three to five years 
um, in earnest. And very often, if it's if it's a um, if it's an age factor that's getting you know kind of starting the twitch, I start mm -hmm. to see that usually around 55, um, people start feeling the twitch, and that's not a bad time to start the conversation. Um, I also find it's kind of funny, and you might have seen this in your practice as, as well, Diane. When you're in your early 50s, you you still you know you're still um, energized very often and and truly 50 is the new 30 you yeah. just got the tiger by the tail but by yeah. 55 yeah. you're going hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hmm maybe i don't have that energy quite as much yeah. so but i'd say minimum three to five years to to do a proper job of it yeah that that's really valuable and that that, that is a great guideline and um, I do think, especially because we're living longer, I think too many people have this belief about what exiting their business would be like, and then they do it mm -hmm. and not so much. Right. So, so you've, um, not on this call, but, but you've mentioned a survey that, what is it? 75% of sellers surveyed 12 months like after they sell profoundly yes. regret selling? Yes. yes. Okay, why is that? So th that was from, again, that's through um, Exit Planning uh, Institute that that statistic comes from, that there was a survey done, I don't remember by which global CPA firm, but there was a survey done um, that asked business owners how they felt about, their, about selling their, the business 12 months later. And what came back was three out of four said that they profoundly regretted selling their business uh, 12 months later, profoundly regretted. And that is just heartbreaking. It's one yeah. of the, it's actually one of the reasons why I get up and I do what I do every day is because that's just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just wrong. <laughs> Um, but to your question as to why is that, um, yeah. it really came came down to two factors. Okay. One was the fact that um, owners are notoriously, um, shall we say, over exuberant about what they think the business is going to be worth and what the sale process is going to be like. Um, you know, we all have daydreams that somebody's going to rock up and, and offer us a kajillion dollars for our baby and they're going to pay it all in cash and we'll just go down the yellow brick road all happy. And um, generally speaking, uh, I, I kind of joke that um, business owners uh, um, are incorrect about the value of their business oh about 100% of the time <laughs> um, because they don't they don't know you know we we as business owners haven't taken the time to get that independent perspective and really understand how this concept of value works um, and we haven't learned about what the exit process is all about again it's kind of taboo you don't want to talk about it you don't want to reveal the fact that you're doing it um, because you're afraid people are gonna figure it out um, right. and so there's this nervousness about it but 
educating and expanding our understanding about this process is so important to setting our expectations about what it's going to be and get, being grounded in those expectations early on because the process is fairly nerve wracking. Um, I've helped a lot of business owners go through through the process. I've also um, been on the on the flip side where I've done due diligence for buyers. And so I know the pain that I inflict <laughs> um, in, in that process and it's very stressful. And so one of the reasons for that level of dissatisfaction is um, you know, they find people find out that their baby is not Miss Universe. Um, and they're not going to get this boatload of cash. They're going to be, uh, you know, there might be seller financing or there might be other um, parameters put on the deal that they weren't anticipating. So that's one of the reasons. The other big, big reason was what I referred to earlier in terms of what happens after you put down the champagne glass. Yeah. And um, very often, um, and I think this is true for retirees as much as it is for business owners, but yeah, I do think I business do owners are on steroids um, because we get so wrapped up in our work and it defines how we think of ourselves and it, it really defines how we spend our days, you know, where we get our intellectual stimulation and challenge, where we connect with people and have that social fabric in our life. Um, our physical movement, are we getting up and going somewhere or are we, um, you know, not going anywhere other than our living room, not even down to the home office anymore. And so what's going to replace all that? And we have daydreams that are very human and very natural about, oh, I'm going to be able to play and it'll be the life of leisure and it'll be wonderful and they find out that there are, this, there are these huge voids. Um, the other piece of it is the fact that, um, you know, I may know that myself well enough to know that I don't sit still well. You know, I, I'm not one of these people that is, is going to be happy doing nothing. Uh -huh. But have I, have I set up a framework um, for it ahead of time? Just because I've got the experience I have doesn't mean I'm going to be able to step right into maybe it's a philanthropic role or I want to be on corporate boards or something like that. You know, we might be the big cheese in our current role, but we're, we're not even a slice of cheese sometimes um, after the champagne glass goes down. And if we, if I take the steps and identify what I want to do after, let's say I do want to be on a corporate board. Well, educate myself as to what does it take to get on a corporate board um, well in advance, start doing the networking, start figuring out what are the avenues for getting on those boards, maybe even get on one or two now mm. so, so that, that it, I'm not going cold turkey. Right. The day after. So that was another big factor is that instead of as we're nearing this this transition, um, we're just thinking about the the finish line. We're not looking farther across the windshield, if you will, into seeing into the future, which leaves us looking in the rearview mirror and kind of unhappy about it. Wow. 
Yeah, I, I, and I agree with you. I think retire, excuse me, retirees go through the same sort of yes. process, right? And it can be really um, unpleasant, I, I guess would be it's the hard. word. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. Now, <clears throat> I have a question for you. you. You've said a couple of times, which I really love about getting an outside, you know, objective view of the value of your business. Um, and I think that is so important because, I, you know, I agree with you that, that we have a tendency to think our business is, is worth so much more. Um, how, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're wondering about that and they're thinking, boy, you know, I should do that kind of thing. How do they go about doing that? So there are, um, I'm, I'm certified in valuation um, and in value growth. And, and there are a couple of different, I have a couple of different perspectives on this. Okay. One is, um, well, for all valuation, um, people that are credentialed in valuation, we understand that the purpose of the valuation is very important. So if I need to get a valuation of my business because I'm getting divorced, I, that might give me, say, number X. But that same business, the same time period, um, getting a valuation to go out to the market or to go to turn into an ESOP might actually generate number Y. It could be two very different numbers based on the purpose. Now, hopefully they're not too far apart, but um, for example, in, an, in a divorce, state law comes into play and might say that you have to calculate it this way or that way. Um, and for an ESOP, they can only um, value, the, the ESOP trustee can only value it based on the parameters outlined by ERISA and the IRS. So, whereas when you're getting a market value, um, you know, or a strategic value, there's more um, room for saying, yeah, I'm willing to pay more for this, or there are going to be these synergies that we'll be able to capture when, when these two competitors come together, things, things of that nature. Um, so, so understanding why you're getting the valuation first and foremost will then tell you what path you need to go down. Getting a certified valuation can be pricey. Um, you know, if, if you need a certain level of valuation, for example, for an ESOP or for gift tax purposes, you need the Cadillac type of valuation to be done because it needs to be defensible with the IRS or ERISA or things of that nature. So that is a level that's known as a conclusion of value. I'm getting geeky here. <laughs> but, but but the conclusion of value is the Cadillac. Um, a calculation of value is a certified valuation, meaning that that it's done by somebody who's going to stand by it and be, and be willing to to defend it. Um, that's not going to cost as much as as the Cadillac. But then there are also various um, it, ways and approaches to get at a an estimate or an analysis of what the, the value could be. Um, but it, it's more anecdotal. 
It's not certified, um, but it's more anecdotal. And very often, for example, if you're talking to an investment banker, an investment banker will do what they call an estimate of value because they want to get a feel for what it would be in the market. Um, I work with my, my, my clients, not necessarily doing certified valuations, but helping them understand what, what are some of the rules of thumb or some, some of the things we are seeing in, in the market. So there are different ways that you can get at it. But the point is you reach out to, um, reach out to these other advisors who can look at it objectively and say, you know what, your, your, your child is darling but it really needs a bath. So <laughs> let's clean it up. <laughs> God, I love that. I, I, <laughs> I've been, I think I even wrote an article called, is my baby ugly? Yeah. You know, because it's, it's, it's really, we do think of our business as our baby, but that is also dangerous because then we are afraid to ask certain really relevant questions for fear yeah. that we're going to get an honest answer that is not the answer that we are looking for. But in this case, you need the honest answers. You need the honest answers because if you don't, you're just going to be really frustrated and disillusioned and find yourself in that, that, you know, 75% had profound regret and that's just wrong and it's avoidable. Mm. I mean, yeah. if we if we right size our expectations about the process, about value, and and what is our next adventure, let's look at it as our next adventure. You know, we get to uh, redefine ourselves on a daily basis. The same is true, you know, when we're we're meeting these thresholds for retirement or going on, you know, to a different business. Right. And it really is like a starting point. It, it just tells you where you are. So then you know what you can and need to do mm -hmm. in, in order to, to get to whatever the possible goal might be. So exactly. It's yeah. a baseline. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a very important baseline. <laughs> <laughs> For so many reasons. Yeah. Right. I know. It's so true. Boy, Martha, I really appreciate this. This is been really valuable and the way that you explain these things is understandable so i especially well, appreciate you. that thank Will you. you tell the listeners you know how they can find you and, and whatever you've got going on please yeah i would be more than happy to so um provenance hill consulting is the name of my business and my website is www.provenancehill p-r-o-v-e-n-a-n-c-e hill.com. Um, and I spell it out because sometimes it, it can be, um, it gets confused, but provenancehill.com is where you can find me. Um, there's actually, a, a, um, I do a workshop series called the Finding True Value workshop series that um, really helps business owners do a deep dive into this whole concept of what value really means and how it relates to them and their lives. Um, and um, as a thank you to, to uh, your listeners, um, I've put together a, a thank you code um, for, uh, for today's conversation. And if you go to provenancehill.com backslash Helbig, you can access um, uh, more information about the Finding True Value workshops. 
and um, how to get in contact with me. It's a small group scenario, so um, it's all done virtually, but it's uh, life-changing. According to my graduates, it's, it's life-changing in terms of how they look at their business, so. Oh my gosh, I'm sure of it. I'm yeah. absolutely sure of it. Well, that is so great, and thank you very much for that. I will make sure that's in the show notes. Thank so you. That everyone is aware of it. And um, like I said, thank you. I, I really appreciate you spending this time with me and explaining all of this. Well, it was fun talking with you, Diane. I hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.